and Pearl don't seem to mind their annual jabs. How good staff, all done. Yeah, done. Good girls, good girls. But vets like Dr. Sam Kovac are seeing a spike in resistance from dog owners who believe their precious pets might get autism from vaccines that protect against the deadly parvovirus. We're seeing a lot of anti-vaxxers coming through who are saying, well, I'm not vaccinating my kids. Why should I be vaccinating my pets? They're just kind of turning it on dogs now, and I just think it's a bit ridiculous. Yeah. Seems like a lot of people are talking about it in the park. It's like, seems a little bit crazy. A theory with more bark than bite. Autism isn't a condition that we see in pets, and there's absolutely no validity from a scientific basis. But Elizabeth Hart claims her pooch, Sasha, died from over-vaccination. It's silly to have vaccinations if you don't need to have them. If the dog is already immune, why have any more vaccines? Recent studies show the vaccine may not be necessary every year, which is why some clinics offer a blood test to first check the dog's immunity to parvovirus and then determine an individualised treatment plan. If they don't have the antibodies or the immunity to parvovirus, they will die. Vets say better safe than sorry. Jessica Ridley, 7 News. Hi, I'm Julia Mazel. I'm Ashley Yeager. I'm Shauna Feliciano. And I'm Kieran Dyer. And, and this, this is Public Health. Health. Welcome. Today we are going to be discussing why vaccinating your pets is important not just for their health, but for yours too. Most people go to the vet and get their dog or cat vaccinated without really knowing what vaccines they're paying for or why they're even paying for them. So before we get started with how you can get sick, let's start with what our veterinarians are giving our pets. There are two categories of vaccines that are given to our pets according to the University of Illinois College of Veterinary Medicine. The first is a non-core vaccine that can be recommended by the veterinarian based on the animal's lifestyle. The second and the vaccines that we will be focusing on today are core vaccines. These are vaccinations that have been determined as essential for the health of the animal. For dogs, core vaccines are rabies, distemper, parvovirus, and canine hepatitis. For cats, core vaccines are rabies, distemper, and feline leukemia. Sure, vaccines are important because they keep pets from getting sick and save people money. But for the same reason that some people don't want to get their kids vaccinated, couldn't some people not want to get their pets vaccinated? Well, that's one of the concerns that we're going to be talking about today. Of course, there is a chance for vaccine reactions. The American Veterinary Medical Association, or AVMA, says reactions can be mild, including itching, drowsiness, and discomfort, to serious, including vomiting, diarrhea, and swelling. However, these reactions are so rare, occurring in 13 of every 10,000 pets, that veterinarians consider them well worth the risk. Not only that, but vaccine reactions can be treated. Yes, the majority of animals who experience vaccine reactions can be treated ahead of time with Benadryl or a similar antihistamine, and then they no longer have a reaction. Well, are there any disadvantages to getting animals vaccinated? The only real other issue is cost, but the cost of an annual exam and vaccines is around $200, negligible to the cost of treatment for any of the diseases and especially to the emotional trauma of losing a beloved pet. Or getting sick yourself. Wait, can that really happen? Yes, zoonotic diseases are defined by the CDC as diseases that are transmissible from humans to animals and vice versa. Oh, so like rabies. Exactly. Rabies is the most common example and is often the biggest threat from animals to humans. And rabies is no walk in the park. By the time that symptoms develop, the disease is often incurable. People can experience symptoms that are flu-like, including weakness and discomfort, fever, and headaches that can last for days. 
By the time the virus takes hold of the brain, patients can experience cerebral dysfunction, anxiety, and agitation that can then manifest into serious side effects, such as delirium and hallucinations. That sounds terrible. Don't tell me it can get worse from that. It can get really bad if left untreated. As the virus worsens, patients may exhibit abnormal behavior, including hydrophobia and insomnia, before the nervous system shuts down altogether and the patient dies. Hydrophobia? I don't understand why that's a symptom. Also, how do they die? Hydrophobia is a fear of water, characterized in some animals due to the paralysis of their throat muscles, making swallowing painful or near impossible. This key characteristic used to be another name for the disease. Victims of the virus usually die due to brain death caused by the massive amount of swelling, also known as encephalitis, caused by the virus rapidly replicating within the central nervous system. Fortunately, according to the CDC, only one in three cases of rabies in humans are reported annually due to animal control and vaccination programs, successful outreach programs, and the availability of modern rabies biologics. Yes, vaccinations continue to have a lasting impact in protecting both animal and human health, lessening animal suffering, providing safe animal food for humans to consume, and reducing the resources needed to treat animals and humans from contracted diseases. In fact, an Iowa State University scholarly article on veterinary vaccines and their importance to human health states that rabies vaccines for domestic animals have nearly eliminated human rabies in developed countries. I actually found an article from the CDC that demonstrates a study in which researchers determined whether vaccinations for animals for rabies in particular would save money for resource-limited countries and or reduce the occurrence of zoonoses worldwide. They conducted a cost analysis of a rabies vaccination for 3,000 dogs in Chad. The average cost per dog was $2.14 to the public sector and $0.97 cents to the private sector dog owner, which brings the full cost to society to $3.11. In the year before this campaign, 69 people reported being exposed to rabid dogs. If one assumes that human exposure could be avoided by mass vaccination of dogs, the cost-effectiveness of mass dog rabies vaccination would be $837 per averted human exposure, which is 57,774 per 69 averted exposures. Wow, it sounds like the mass vaccination of dogs for rabies is comparatively inexpensive and ethical way to control the disease in animals and to prevent human exposure and illness, especially in resource-limited countries. It is. Unfortunately, rabies isn't the only disease to look out for. Leptospirosis is another potentially fatal disease that can harm your pets if they are left unvaccinated. It's a very dangerous disease and the symptoms of leptospirosis can be painful and scary to deal with. I'd rather be safe than sorry. How do you even get it? Leptospirosis is a bacterial infection transmitted through contact with the urine of an infected animal. It must enter through a cut or a mucous membrane. Now, normally, people do not go around splashing animal urine onto their open cuts or sores or, God forbid, any mucous membranes, but usually the most common way is standing on soil that has infected urine on or in it while having a cut or sore on your leg or foot. This disease can lead to liver and kidney failure and has a high mortality rate in both animals and humans if not treated. Wow, what are the signs or symptoms of this disease? Once the disease has been transmitted, the patient will go through different phases of symptoms. There's the incubation period where a patient may be contaminated anywhere from two days to a month before displaying symptoms. The first phase of the disease includes fever, chills, headache, muscle aches, vomiting, jaundice, or diarrhea. 
Patients often recover from this primary phase and become entirely well again, leaving many to be improperly diagnosed. That sounds terrible. Now you mentioned phases. Do the other phases get any better? Sadly, no, it doesn't end there. Phase two often happens within a few weeks after the disease disappears, this time more severe, and symptoms can include all the symptoms of phase one, along with kidney failure, liver failure, and meningitis. Without treatment, recovery can take months and can, in rare cases, be fatal. Wow, you would think that all of these dangerous zoonotic diseases, that more pet owners would vaccinate their animals. Yeah, didn't someone mention something about people not wanting to get their pets vaccinated? What was that clip from earlier all about? Yes, it baffles me that people are so uneducated on the consequences of not vaccinating their pets and believe myths such as the one that I found in Time magazine that some anti-vaxxers are increasingly making the same unfounded claims about pets and vaccines that they've been making or been repeating about children and vaccines for the past 20 years, that vaccines are unnecessary and dangerous and that they can cause a form of canine autism along with other diseases. That sounds ridiculous. How is that even possible? It's not, and it's ideologies like this that put people and animals in harm's way. So obviously it's terrible that animals can get sick and die from preventable illnesses, but I don't have any pets. Does this really matter to me? Yes, because remember the two illnesses that we talked about, leptospirosis and rabies, are zoonotic, meaning that they're transmissible to humans. This means that even if you, you yourself do not have any pets, the people who around you who do can still pose as a source of infection. So, is it possible to increase the amount of pet owners that get vaccines for their pets? Of course. There are a few ways that either the government or individual veterinarians could get involved. Many humane societies have vaccination clinics that provide free or low-cost vaccinations. Veterinarians will often use their days off to volunteer at pop-up clinics that offer similar services as these offered at humane societies. Oh wow, that's really cool. Is there any other way that the government could intervene? Some countries asserted to use incentives to persuade pet owners to vaccinate. According to a study by Abel Menu in Tanzania, the use of incentives is an effective way to increase participation in mass dog rabies clinics. However, this tactic has not been used as widely as of yet. Something that baffles me is the fact that some pet owners do not know the impact of vaccinating their pets and what it could have on both their own health and the health of the animal. Does knowing about the outcomes of not vaccinating pets increase the amount of pet owners that do it? That's a good question. One of the biggest reasons the number of vaccinated pets is lower than it should be is the lack of education provided for pet owners. However, humane societies have been working to increase opportunities for education by offering resources to new pet owners that tell them about all of the vaccinations that their pet should receive in order to be as healthy as possible. Although these resources are provided, people sometimes still decide to not vaccinate their pets. What reasons could pet owners possibly have to not vaccinate? Well, the most common pushbacks against vaccinations are the costs and the risks of side effects. What kind of side effects are we talking about here? Canine autism? No, nothing along those lines. Usually the side effects are very similar to those in humans who react poorly to vaccinations. Nothing too serious, maybe a mild fever, lethargy, and a loss of appetite. Maybe even a little swelling at the injection site, but nothing of any real concern. The most common risks involve weakening the immune system of your pet. For example, if your dog does not receive its booster shots or is unable to boost its level of immunity via sporadic exposure, it becomes harder for the dog to fight the infectious agent, even with the help of vaccines. Eventually, its immunity would be too low to fight off certain diseases. In addition, VCA Animal Hospital released a statement that certain infections and some drugs may cause a suppression of the immune system, 
so an otherwise well-vaccinated dog becomes susceptible to an infection and disease if exposed. Is there any way for a pet owner to detect immune suppression in their pet before it becomes too late? Yes. In fact, the American Veterinary and Medical Association states that the symptoms most commonly manifest as discomfort and swelling at the vaccination site, mild fever, sneezing, and mild coughing, and some more serious yet rare side effects such as persistent vomiting or diarrhea, collapse, severe coughing, difficulty breathing, and swelling of the muzzle. Although the risk of side effects seems extensive, the most common reason that pet owners are hesitant to vaccinate their pets is because of the cost. I can definitely see that the point of view because medical costs are arguably the most expensive aspect of owning a pet. Even smaller expenses quickly add up. I even read an article by Veterinary Practice News that states pet vaccines costs rise about every 2 to 3% each year. I believe it. My dog's initial vaccinations cost me about $60 to $150, and my vet told me that lifetime vaccination costs could range from $720 to $1,800. While costs for vaccinations for your pets can be hefty, there are some ways to pay for their necessary treatment. As Corrine stated earlier, shelters like the Atlanta Humane Society provide low-cost and free vaccination clinics. We even have our own Athens Area Humane Society that offers low-cost vaccines and vaccine clinics within Pet Supplies Plus. They come every once a month and are administered by registered veterinary technicians and charge the same amount for the vaccine as the cost of the production of it. I had the opportunity to sit down with Maureen Singh, a local veterinarian, and discuss this important issue from the professional perspective. Uh, so my podcast is about... Uh, pet vaccines and like domestic animal vaccines and the way that those vaccines impact human health. Uh, so what do you think is the biggest disease threat that people face when bringing a domestic animal like a cat or a dog into their home? Um, honestly, most likely something like parasites that we can get that are zoonotic from them to us. Something like roundworms, hookworms are the more common things. Of course, there's always the threat of something like rabies, which people don't often think about. Um, and that still happens, but it's not nearly as common as something like getting, you know, hookworms, roundworms, or, you know, something like ringworm. And so the parasites largely aren't vaccinatable, but the uh, rabies is. And do you think that there are less cases of rabies because of the common rate of vaccines? Definitely, or? yes. It's, we've definitely seen a decrease in number. So. Okay. Have you ever seen a case of rabies? I personally have not had a case of rabies, fortunately. Um, I know that they do happen. Dr. Mosier has seen a case here at the clinic. Um, we um, had a case when I was in vet school that a lot of the students got involved with and all had to get vaccinated <laughs> after touching it. Um, but it's just, it's one of those things. Fortunately, I have not had a personal case of rabies myself. So the other uh, common zoonotic disease that can be vaccinated against is leptospirosis, mm -hmm. but we don't generally vaccinate against that. Do you want to talk about like, why we don't? Honestly, people decline that a lot, and I don't think that they realize kind of the health, you know, risks of that. So I try and make sure that people are informed um, and give them the opportunity. The unfortunate thing about lepto is it is one of the more likely vaccines that they are to have a reaction to. So people are a little bit more hesitant with that. But leptospirosis, you know, definitely we can get that from our animals and they can get it, you know, from wildlife. And 
Um, so it is important if your animal is in, you know, that situation or they, you know, you kind of want to look at risk. So if they have no risk and it's an normal animal, you don't need to worry about it. But otherwise, I try and leave it up to the owner so they can make an informed decision. What puts an animal at risk for something like leptospirosis? So usually that's going to be from wildlife urinating into open pools of water. Um, and so if they have access to, you know, swimming in lakes or if they have any, you know, creeks or anything that the animals run through, um, that's a good idea to have. Um, so really any kind of wildlife in their environment um, crossing over is a, is a risk. So you said people often refuse the leptospirosis vaccine. Do you think it would be beneficial for people to get the vaccine and to like how do you think we could go about convincing more people? I think people, um, most people, if you explain the risks and they understand what can happen to their dog, are going to be willing to give it. I think it's a matter of just making you know everybody informed of that. Um, again, it's not as popular um, just because of the potential risk of the vaccine, but it's not, I mean, all vaccines have the likelihood of causing a, a reaction. It's just less than 2% of all animals, so it's very low, um, but that is when we will see more reactions with. So I try and make sure people are informed of all of the risks involved with everything and let them make an educated decision. But I think just talking about it more and everyday appointments, everyday annuals would get more people to be on board. And do you think, so there's been recently an increase in people choosing not to vaccinate their children. Do you mm -hmm. think that's crossed over into veterinary medicine? Yes, definitely. So have you seen people doing things like refusing the rabies vaccine and those types of things? Yes, I mean, they want to refuse a lot of the vaccines, but we, you know, as far as animals who stay with us for the day or have dental procedures, we'll have to say, you know, they need these vaccines to be able to do this. So we do have some, you know, say in certain things, I always tell them rabies is required by law. Um, I have a lot of people say I have an indoor only cat. They never go outside. They don't need a rabies, but um, there have been cases where bats get into people's houses and the cats are playing with the bat and therefore they're at risk. So you just never know what's going to happen. So even indoor only animals need it. So I kind of just explain every situation. Um, there's a lot of people who ask as well for vaccine titers in place of vaccines um, and you know we don't give as many vaccines as we used to we used to do one-year vaccines all the time we've now found that they last longer so we try to not give you know to over vaccinate so I think it's just explaining to people that we're not trying to push vaccines on them every single year we're trying to do what's in the best interest of their pet and you said vaccine titers. Do you want to talk about what those are? Well, it's just trying to see, you know, if they have a response to the vaccine that's previously been given. But it's one of those things where you just never, you never know. And it's a, they are very expensive. And so, you know, a lot of people want to do it. Um, I just find that, you know, knowing that if you give it and it lasts for three years, the vaccine company has done their research. We know that it lasts for three years. Um, I would make sure that you get your vaccine every three years. You just never know if, if the titers... Um, I mean, I'm fine doing that, but as far as rabies, they need to have their rabies. Um, vaccine titers, basically we have the animal come in, we draw a blood sample, we send it to an outside lab, and they are checking for the presence of certain antibodies to, you know, certain um, vaccines that they've had in the past. And so you just draw the blood, um, send it out to the lab, and we usually get the results back in a day or two and find out whether or not they have um, a need to have their vaccine again or if they're okay and don't need one again. Um, the vaccine titers are, are um, great. It's one of those things, um, you know, they do cost um, three to four times as much as an actual vaccine, but it gives you that information if you want to know what it is and that way you don't over vaccinate your pet. Um, however, it is not um, technically, it's not going to hold up for rabies. Rabies is required by law. So you can get a titer done to see um, if you have 
um, antibodies for rabies, but if you're not getting it either you know, annually or every three years, depending on the vaccine that you received, it's not gonna hold up in a court of law. So rabies is definitely required. Um, if somebody wants to pay to see if they have um, a titer to the other vaccines, then that is um, you know, fine if they'd like to do that. We do um, that on occasion. Some pets come back low and still need the vaccine. So, um, but some cats or some cats and dogs are fine. So, okay. uh, and then how do you think? What's a good way that we can reach people that don't regularly bring their animals to the vet? Well, I think you know just trying to talk to the people that you meet. Um, but I do think you know things like certain vet hospitals will do you know festivals and things like that have a booth and just reach people who are there just hanging out for the day with their pets um, vaccine clinics and things like that I think they do a pretty good job of advertising um, they have a lot of people who go there so I think that that's you know just encouraging people if they can't you know come into the clinic that there are other opportunities for them to get their vaccines why do you think people, what's the biggest reason people don't bring their animals to the vet regularly? Um, I think, honestly, a lot of people just don't know that they're supposed to. Some people have grown up with cats that never been to the vets and lived to be 21, 22, which is great. Um, but it just, it's one of those things where they don't realize, they think, oh, my cat's done great. He doesn't eat anything. But, you know, technically they do, and it's important um, to keep up with things like that. Okay, well, that's it. Thank you for sitting down with me. <laughs> See, that wasn't too bad. <laughs> it wasn't. <laughs> so we've heard it from all angles. Animals and people are in danger if pet owners decide to stop vaccinating their animals. And with the rise of the anti-vax movement and rising costs of veterinary care, it is more crucial than ever that people understand the importance of vaccinating their animals and take their pets to their local veterinarian at least once annually to keep them up to date. Because it's not just pets or even pets and pet owners that can be affected by any unvaccinated animal, but the entire population. So please vaccinate your animals. Thanks for tuning in. This, this has, has been, been Public Health. Health.